Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another edition of the KWUR Theater of the Air, Tales to Chill Your Blood and Warm Your Bones. Or maybe it was the other way around. I don't know. My mother my mother told me, is it feed a cold and starve a fever, or is it warm your blood and chill your bones? I think it's a little bit of both. Oh, okay. I think they're both important to keep in mind. Anyway, welcome. Welcome to this, our show. Tonight marks the premiere of our horror series, Ooh, Simon Colt, which is our Western occult horror. Uh, so that'll be coming up later uh, after the in the next half hour or so. Uh, we'll be playing that probably at the bottom of this hour here on KWUR, Clayton 90.3 FM. We're your hosts. I'm David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And I am Alex Jensen. Hello, Alex Jensen. Hello. How are you? Well, I, I, I'm a little sore. Oh. I can't tell why. I, I don't know. I, I must have slept wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. Or something. I, I'm doing It's okay. I'm Nothing fine. to worry about. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm glad everybody else out there is great. Thanks. Dave, yeah. you doing Could okay? You... you in peak physical condition? <laughs> yeah. Like an Olympian? Yeah. Um... How big is your wingspan? <laughs> my, my wingspan? <laughs> Yeah, they they wouldn't shut up about his wingspan, would they? Phelps, no. Phelps, he he's a beautiful human being, except <laughs> he's got kind of funky teeth. I don't really, I I I don't want to get us in trouble, but funky I, I don't teeth? I don't think he's that that uh. I mean, he's looking. not like you don't <laughs> think he's an American hero. I didn't say that. He beat the commies, Alexandra. That's no, he's true. amazing. He, he beat the commies with he's his an albatross amazing human wingspan. Being, I, I never said he wasn't talented. I, I just don't think that he. He just looks sort of awkward. News yeah. brief: Alexandra Jensen and David Brunel Brutman hate America. Um, yes, we do hate America for not admitting that Michael Phelps is an Adonis among men. <laughs> Michael Phelps' wingspan seduced me. Into what? Drugs. The dark side. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But. That's irrelevant, ladies and gentlemen. What is relevant is that tonight, in addition to the world premiere of a brand spanking new series here on K-Word Theater in the Air. Indeed. The, wait, I said theater on the air. That's wrong. That That's is wrong. wrong. Who are you? On You're not theater really David, are We're doing, you? Uh, we've got an Isaac Asimov theme, and you should be excited about this. I don't know if the rest of you guys are enormous science fiction dorks, but... <laughs> When I was in middle school, I am. I was, and my favorite author, far and away, Isaac Asimov. Uh, I am pumped for this episode like Air Jordans. Yeah, famous as the author of the Robot series and the Foundation series. You do pump those, right, Alex? Though, yeah, I think so. I never had any. Sorry, continue. What? Nothing. Keep going. Foundation series. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are just going to have other conversations in the background, I don't know what that's you're talking about. fine. No, I mean, I, it enriches the listening experience. I mean, you can choose to listen to one of us <laughs> or it's It's like a choose-your-own-adventure <laughs> radio show. Exactly. Why don't we all just start talking at the same time about something completely different? Page Sounds 13. great. Ready? He opened Go. the slithering door. And strode into. You guys are all supposed to be talking at the same time. I and know. So, so, so the one time, full of my, my grandpa keeps sending me like emails about um, hideous snakes. About how Obama's not an actual citizen. Wait, your grandfather? Said that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good story. Just aside, and then I will stop talking. I promise. Okay. I'm in. I'm in this women in film class, and mm-hmm. we're talking about how the role of the first lady has has either changed or or if it hasn't changed or whatnot. And um, we were talking about um, Michelle Obama. And um, about how how she anyway it doesn't matter but the the point is my my professor is like no wait wait what's the husband's name it's 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 <laughs> what is it and we're all like 
Barack? Do you mean the president? <laughs> and she's like, oh, yes, I, I always forget. And she's just like laughing. And it's, it's, and I'm like, what? I mean, I even know the president's name. I didn't even vote. So I, I just thought that was really funny that my professor, like, couldn't remember the president's name. I don't know. But are you sure that wasn't facetious? I, no, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I've had class with her. Uh, I've had a, this class with her long enough to like kind of know yeah. when she's you know. Right. Joking so, and... Asimov Day. What are we playing first? <laughs> yeah, because we yeah. have these so adaptations I found of stories. Two uh, radio adaptations from. We played excerpts from the show X minus one, which was a. Um, I believe I want to say the late fifties, a radio showcase on NBC presenting various science fiction stories, and a lot of them were adaptations of short stories by, uh, you know, the famous science fiction authors of the day. And I found two adaptations of Isaac Asimov's stories, and they're two stories that I really like a lot. The first one we're going to play for you is called Sea Shoot, and it involves action in space, and there are crazy aliens, Mm. and some stuff happens. Are there any other kind of aliens? Peaceful aliens? Yeah, these are not peaceful aliens, but it's it's a little the the situation is a little more complex than just evil aliens versus good humans. Oh, as Let's you get will see. To it, to it. All right. In Sea Shoot by Isaac Asimov. Enjoy. In just a moment, X minus one. But first, there's a certain water commissioner whose interest in the ladies sometimes overshadows his interest in civic affairs. His name is a familiar one: Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. And he'll pursue his adventures tomorrow night when NBC Radio presents another comic episode of The Great Gildersleeve. So when you hear the familiar voice and hearty laugh of the water commissioner from Summerfield tomorrow, why, stay tuned and enjoy another romantic scramble with the one and only The Great Gildersleeve on this NBC station. And now stay tuned for X-1 on NBC. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, The Sea Shoot, by Isaac Asimov. We were on our way home to Earth when it happened. Six of us coming home as passengers aboard the merchant spaceship Starfire. At the start of the Second Interstellar War, the one between Earth and the planet Chloro. 
And then it happened. Now hear this. Condition red. Condition red. We are under attack from a chloran battle cruiser. All hands forward to battle stations. Passengers will remain confined to the after cabin. Condition red. We are being attacked. The interception by the chloran cruiser, the murderous running jewel of energy blasts and force field defenses. We huddled in the passengers' after cabin, terrified, not knowing how the battle was going. We could hear the desperate bursts of steam through the steering tubes as the Starfire maneuvered to dodge the enemy attacks. And then... Now what? Uh, the beginning of the end, you might call it. Well, what does it mean, Stuart? You were a space pilot? It means our generators have been drained of energy. We can't fight back. But, Monsieur, All right, don't we... worry. They won't destroy us. They need our ship too badly. They'll simply board us and take over. But what about the crew? The crew, Colonel? If they have any sense, they'll surrender. If they choose to fight, they'll... Now, they're coming aboard. Now, be very still. Oh, Mother in heaven, help Would us. You be still? If only those fools on deck will surrender without a struggle. They are fighting. Yes, it's the end. We've got to help them. All right, don't open that door. We just can't let them die. You can't help them. I'm going. Stop him. All right. Aristide. Shut the door quickly. Aristide. My brother. That poor fool. I'll get them. My brother, I swear to you, I'll get them. Yeah, you better cover his body. The brutes. The monstrous, green-skinned brutes. They're no more brutes than we are, Colonel. This is a war. Are you defending them? I'm merely pointing out the facts. I ought to strangle you. Why not save it for the chloros? I will. I promise you I will. They're probably deciding right now what to do with us. We might as well settle down and wait. We sat there, the five of us and listened while the Chloran invaders killed off the members of the Starfire's crew. Among us was Colonel Anthony Wyndham, an old Colonel Blimp type with a lame leg. Wyndham had spent his life in the militia back on Earth, but had never seen a battle. There was Demetrius Polyarchitis, who had just watched his brother being killed by a chlorocarbonizer. Polly was a huge man. He and his brother had tried truck farming in Arcturus and given it up after two seasons. Then there was LeBlanc, a sensitive, frightened young man of 22, and Randolph Mullen, who looked like somebody's caricature of a bookkeeper, a mild, balding, milk-toast little man. And there was myself, John Stewart. I was the only one who'd ever had contact with the chloro people. I had a pair of artoplasm hands to prove it. It is quiet now. Yeah, they've finished with the crew. Mr. Stewart? Yes, Mr. Mullen. What do you think will happen next? Well, they'll put a prize crew of two aboard and take us to one of their home planets as prisoners of war. Only two of the Chloros will stay aboard? Well, two is all they'll need. <laughs> Why, Colonel? You're thinking of leading a gallant raid to retake the ship? Well, simply a point of information, Dasher. All right, then let me give you another point of information. If you want to commit suicide quick, just open that bulkhead door. Three steps inside, you'd fall on your face. But why? Don't you smell anything, LeBlanc? Get close to the door. It smells like gas. Yeah, it is gas. Chlorine gas. They breathe it like we breathe oxygen. They've chlorinated the whole cruise compartment. One big whiff of that and we'd all be dead. 
Now, just forget about rushing the chloros. How do you know so much about their habits, Stuart? I lived on a chloro planet for six months. You see these hands? They were mangled in the oxygenating machinery of my own quarters. They grew these artoplasm things and operated. They're weak, but at least I have hands again. Monsieur Stewart. Yeah. Will they? Will they kill us? No. Why do you say that? Because in their own way, they're gentlemen. Probably will be interned for the duration. You call them gentlemen? After they kill my brother in cold blood, you call them gentlemen? You know, Stuart, you sound more and more like a blasted greenie sympathizer. Blasted, man. Where's your patriotism and loyalty? My loyalty is where it belongs, with honesty and decency, regardless of the shape of the being it appears in. This is a ridiculous war. Why are we fighting these people? We can live only on planets with oxygen, and oxygen is poison to them. They can live only in chlorine atmosphere, which is deadly to us. Yet we're fighting them over a bunch of worthless asteroids that neither of us can live on comfortably. Well, it's, it's a matter of principle. It's a matter of stupid pride and greed. I don't like what you say, mister. Why not? Because you talk too nice about these greeny scum. They're good to you, eh? Well, they weren't good to my brother. They killed him. And I think maybe I'll kill you, you rotten greeny right, Holy shit! Mullen, grab him. I, I can't break his hold. It, they are coming in. Holy, let him go. They saved your life this time. But when I'm finished with them... What? I think they're opening the lock. So don't get between us. Holy, don't lose your head. They'll kill us all. Chloro was not a pleasant sight to anyone unused to him. He was about the height of an Earthman, but the top of him was just a green stalk with eyes. He was still wearing a spacesuit to protect him from the oxygen in our compartment. In one of his tendrils, he carried a chloran gun. As he stood in the doorway, I could see Polyarchita's eyes begin to glisten with rage. Then, with a bellow like a huge bull, he threw himself at the chloro. Do something for Mr. Polly Arkady? Oh, he'll be all right. Just hoist him up in the cot. That's good. Hi, Polly. Can you hear me, you stupid brute? His voice is coming back. Now, I know what's going on in that thick skull of yours, Polly. You think that when the paralysis wears off, you'll ease your feelings by slamming me around some more. Well, if you do, it'll be curtains for all of us. How do you mean, sir? None of you know... The chloros, the way I do. Unlike us, they assume automatically that any group of Earthmen they find together comprises a biological grouping, like an ant colony. The result is that they consider the group as something, well, something holy. Now, they'd never break us up. 
And if one of us did any harm to another, they'd have us all executed as a bunch of chlorotype perverts, a non-functioning group. So call all the names you want, but keep your hands to yourself or we're finished. My little speech had a sobering effect on the group. For the next 24 hours, we did little besides eat our rations and think. I tried to evaluate them. The colonel I had figured for an old windbag. Polyarchitis was a hate-filled brute. LeBlanc would crack first. It was like a frightened child. Mullen? Mullen was a non-entity. A mouse instead of a man. Everything he did seemed prissyish. His voice had the quality of furtively rustling underbrush. How long did you say the trip would take, Mr. Stewart? Well, the chloro said about two weeks. Gentlemen, uh, if I may interrupt. Colonel? Now, it has occurred to me that perhaps you know of some some weakness that might enable us to overcome these chloros. The only weakness they've got is that they can't stand oxygen. Oh, but there must be some way to get the best of the man. After all, there are only look, two. before I answer, Colonel, I have to know your motive. Is it to save your own skin or help Earth win the war? Oh, dash it, man, to help our side, of course. What we're looking for is the way to save the ship for Earth without losing our lives, yes? Well, all right, let's take a vote, then. LeBlanc? I... I have a wife waiting on Earth, Mr. Stewart. I do not want to die. Uh Uh-huh. Hero number one. What about you, Mullen? I don't see how we could accomplish it without... Uh Uh-huh. Hero number two. Well, Polyarchitis... When I kill Chloros, it will be with my bare hands. On their planet, I will kill dozens, I promise you. Uh Uh-huh, three down. Well, Colonel, don't you want to march to glory, an old militia man like you? Your attitude is very cynical and unbecoming, Stuart. I see. Well, then I'll have to blow the ship up myself. Stuart! Don't worry, Colonel. I don't intend to be a dead hero. Of course, there is a way we might do it. What did you say, Mr. Mullen? There's a spacesuit and magnetic boots stored in that locker over there. We might be able to reach the control room from the outside of the ship. The outside? But how would we get outside? Well, this compartment has a sea chute. It must. Uh, what is a, a, a sea chute? A sea chute, my boy, is a casualty chute. It doesn't get talked about much, but all the main compartments have them. They're just little airlocks down which you slide a corpse. Burial in space. Oh, blasted, Mullen. Uh, suppose you did get outside. How could you re-enter the ship? Uh, through the steam tubes, the ones they use to guide the ship. Wait a minute, Mullen. What do you know about steam tubes? I thought you were a bookkeeper. Well, on Arcturus, I got interested in spaceship models. I I studied all about them. On my own time, of course. Yeah, yeah, naturally. At, at any rate, I learned that the steam tubes have an access vent directly to the control room for repairs and, and so forth. And the chloros, they are in the control room. Uh, what do you think, Stuart? Well, it's a video sort of idea, but it might just work. We could get permission from the chloros to open the sea chute and bury Polly's brother. And one of us could slip into it, work forward, and climb up through the steam tube. The question being, which one? What about you? You with your loud talk and your sneers. I'm no hero, Polly. I've already said that. My object is to stay alive. The steam tube let go while you were in it, you'd be broiled like a lobster. Now, how about the colonel here? If I were younger, blasted, I'd trounce you. You know very well with my injured leg. Yeah, of course. Not to mention my artificial hands. Well, now, what 
unfortunate deformities do the rest of us have? Polly? You just keep talking, Mr. Big Mouth, and pretty soon we'll kick your teeth in. Of course, that's your standard reply to everything, isn't it? LeBlanc, will you do it? I... I cannot. Not even to get back to Denise? Please, I, I cannot... LeBlanc needn't go. I'll do it. What? After all, it is my idea. Wait a minute. Are you serious, Mullen? Yes. Well, how... I don't understand. Why? Why you? Well, it... It seems no one else will do it. But that's no reason, man. I can't think of any other. Uh, look here. You really intend to go through with it, sir? Yes, I suppose I do. Well, dash it, man. Let me shake your hand. You, you're, you're an earthman by heaven. You do this thing and win or die. I'll bear witness for you. It was quite a moment. Mullen the mouse had suddenly turned into a man. He just stood there awkwardly while the colonel pupped his hand. Polyarchita seemed stunned. LeBlanc was wide-eyed. And I? Well, I was in a peculiar position, one in which I rarely found myself. I had absolutely nothing to say. That ought to bring them. I hear one. One member of our unit is dead, as you know. We request permission to jettison his body out of the casualty chute. You may do so. You'll have to open the chute lock from the control room. I will do so. Is there anything else? No. Nothing else. Thank you. Oh, boy. All right, come on now. We'll have to work fast. Mulling... Get into a space suit from the emergency locker. Polly, help Mom with those magnetic boots. I'm working as fast as I can. The arm. All right, give me the helmet. The helmet. Okay. Now, Mullen, you better scratch your nose if you have to. It's your last chance for a while. What about radio contact? You can talk to us. We'll listen in on the helmet set in one of the other suits. The chloros won't have their set on the interphone frequency. Wait a moment. What for? Dash it, what's he going to use for a weapon? He isn't big enough to fight them barehanded. No, no, that's true. Well, how about one of those oxygen cylinders? Good idea. Use it to bash them over the head. Now, give them one of the cylinders equipped with a reducing valve. Now, look, Mullen, if your magnetic boots fail and you start drifting away into space, open this valve. Mm-hmm. See that? Now, you can use it like a miniature jet and try to blow yourself back to the ship. Understand? Uh, I think so. Well, I only hope it works. All right, here goes the helmet. You'd better hurry. The light is on over the sea chute. Yeah. All right. That means I've opened the lock. Here. Now, can you hear me? LeBlanc, give me that other space helmet. Yes, here. Let me switch on the radio. Can you hear me, Mullen? I hear you. Fine. Plenty of air? Air's okay. Uh Uh-huh. Polly, open the sea chute. Okay, now help him in. Are you ready? Ready. Well, good luck. Close the chute. Fully ejector valve. Now. He's out. Oh, God help him. The light is out. Yeah. The chloros have closed the chute lock. I... I don't suppose he has much of a chance. No. Do you think... Uh, do you think he knew it? I don't know. 
I just don't know. Should I, I, I try to contact him on the radio? Yes, I think... Wait a minute. What is it? Listen, the chloro's coming. Good Lord. He's sure to miss Mullen. Yeah, wait. Polly, get your brother's body on the cot. Put a blanket over it. Pretend it's Mullen asleep. Polly, for heaven's sake. My brother. Right, you've got to do it, man. It's our only chance. Listen, if Mullen could go out there and Very risk well. His... I will do it. Earthman. Yes. You have jettisoned the body. Yes. Good. Is there something further we can do? No, I... We are very tired. Our grief is very great at losing one of our unit. We would like to rest alone. I will respect your wishes. I see that one of your unit sleeps already. Yes, yes, Mr. Mullen was overcome with grief. I leave you. Holy, I thought sure you were going to rush him. With that brave little guy out there, what do you think I am anyway? And to think I laughed at him makes me ashamed. Yeah, I guess... I guess I've been saying some things that maybe weren't too funny. I owe all of you an apology. <clears throat> you think it's safe to try the radio? Yeah, we better. Hello? Hello, Mullen. Can you hear me? Yes, I, I hear you. Where are you? I'm standing on the outside of the ship. All right, now take care. One misstep and you'll be marooned in space. Now, can you find the steam tubes? I think I've found one of them already. I can feel the rim. I just hope it doesn't let go when I get inside. Be careful. I'm going into the tube now. I can feel the ladder rungs I use to repair the inside. Now, we'll keep in contact. Good Lord. They've let go with a blast. Well, it may be the starboard tubes. Mullen, Mullen. Still here. They use the other tubes, fortunately. Now, if they don't try to correct for over-deflection... Yeah, keep moving. I seem to be... Wait. Yes, yeah, I'm at the end of the tube now, where it opens into the control room. Good, good. Now, look, there's a small metal door there. Can you feel it? Yes, I... It's locked from the other side. Oh. I can't budge it. Mullen. Mullen, listen to me. Stuart, I'm scared. I'm terribly scared. Yeah, all right, all right. Now, hang on. Don't blow up. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes. Take the spare oxygen tank. Bang on the metal door that leads to the control room. The chloros are bound to hear you. When one of them comes to investigate, try to hit him with a cylinder. Now, aim for the stalk on top of his body. Try to blind him. When you do that... I... I'll try. Well, now, go on. Only one can come. The other will stay at the controls. Now, start banging. Any luck? No, I... Wait, I... I hear something. Something's opening the lock. The door now. I hear... Ah! Mullen! Mullen, what happened? Mullen, can you hear me? Mullen! 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 Oh, it's no use. They must have gotten him. 
Yeah, he was one brave little guy, that one. But suppose they have just got him in the control room. I mean, maybe he's not dead. Well? Well, then maybe one of us could rush them. We could bang on the door and jump the claw. Well, the first guy would be a cinch to die. Well, I... I would be willing to take the chance. You? Why not? I could try. Not you. I'm the strongest. I do it. Now, listen. Listen, you chaps. I'm an old man. I've got nothing to live for anyway. Suppose I throw myself at the ray gun. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Twenty minutes ago, there wasn't one of you who'd risk his little finger to get us out of here. Now you're falling all over each other. Maybe Mr. Mullen teaches us a lesson, huh? Yeah. Okay, Polly, give me the wrench. I'll start banging on the door. They say that selflessness is contagious. I guess maybe it is. I'd been a cynic all my life, a man who believed in nothing. Well, I'd come face to face with four human beings who proved that I'd been living a lie. I knew what I was going to do now. When the chloro came to investigate our compartment, I had it all planned. If only my poor, weak hands would hold out long enough. Ready? Ready. Ready. Here goes. That should bring him. Try again. Wait, wait, listen. Shh. It's at the door. Get ready. It's opening the lock. For poor old Mullen now. Uh, steady. No! Let him out! Wait! Stop it! Uh, it's not the floor! Wait! Good Lord! It's Mullen! Kick it! Get the helmet off! That's it! All right, now lift! Mullen! Mullen, are you all right? I, I seem to be quite all right. Well, the chloros. Both dead. At least I hope so. Well, what happened? Well, I banged on the steam tube hatch and a chloro opened it. Yeah? I hit him with a cylinder. It blinded him, I, I guess, but didn't kill him. He grabbed me and pulled me into the cabin. In the struggle, he broke my transmitter. That, that's why I couldn't talk to you. Finally, I managed to, to club him down. Well, what about the other one? The other one almost got me. It must have heard the scuffle and came into the cabin with a ray gun. What I did, I, I guess, was pure reflex. The cabin atmosphere was chlorine, of course, and the greenie didn't have a spacesuit on. Uh -huh. So I just turned on the oxygen valve in that spare tube. It was like spraying an insect with poison. Well, you're a brave man, Mullen. I'd have been scared to death. I, I... Mullen, what is it? An hour later, false hands and all, I was at the controls of the ship, headed for Earth. We'd gotten rid of the chlorinating equipment and restored the oxygen naturally. Mullen was asleep in the cabin under a sedative, or so I thought until the cabin door opened. Mullen, for Pete's sake, get back to bed. No, I'm quite all right now, really. Do you mind if I watch how you operate the ship? No, no, not at all. Sit down. You know, I guess, uh, I owe you an apology. I didn't think too much of you. That's your privilege. <laughs> no, it isn't anybody's privilege, Mullen, to despise another. For years now, I've abandoned hope for finding any decency in human beings. I owe you a vote of thanks. You embarrass me, Mr. Stewart. I, 
I didn't do it for any heroic reasons, I assure you. Far from it. But why did you do it, Lois? That puzzles me very much. Well, Mr. Stewart, I'm a bookkeeper. Seventeen years ago, I left Earth to work on Arcturus. I never made much impression on anybody on Earth, although I wanted very much to have people like me. Well, about a year ago, I started to write to my family again. Don't ask me why. And then I asked for a leave of absence to go home after 17 years. Well, I still don't understand. It wasn't patriotism or love of a woman or money or any of those things. What was it? Mr. Stewart, haven't you ever been homesick? have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, which this month features A Gun for Dinosaur by L. Sprague de Camp, a story of hunters in the bloodiest and most ferocious arena of all prehistoric Earth, where hunting reptile heavyweights is no job for human lightweights. Galaxy Magazine, on your newsstand today. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Sea Shoot, a story from the pages of Galaxy, written by Isaac Asimov, and adapted for radio by George Leffert. Featured in the cast were Lyle Sudrow, Stan Early, Bob Hastings, Mercer McLeod, Danny Ocko, and John Gibson. Your announcer, Bill McCord. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. Next week on a distant planet in a forgotten colony of Earth, a man is ordered to commit a murder. Listen to Skulking Permit on X-1 next week. And those three chimes mean good times here on NBC. It's 1952, and I'm just kidding. You're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. That was very good, though. You, you. you made me nervous. I was like, wait a minute. Did I was I just like, go back in yeah. time. I wasn't sure, but me neither. But mm. thanks for clearing that up. Anyway, uh, before we <laughs> I just listen to too much old stuff. Before before we get any further, um, I have a message for you. Please, if you'd like to prevent crime in your neighborhood, here's a tip: invite your neighbors in for a cup of coffee. Then you can talk about the potential problems you see on your street and what to do about them. You can even invite your local police officer to be a part of the conversation. Who'd have thought a cup of coffee can combat crime? Want to learn more? Go to ncpc.org for other ways to take a bite out of crime. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Justice, Crime Prevention Coalition of America, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Thanks, Alexa. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with some original content.
and you're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air. I'm David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And I am Alex Jensen. And tonight marks the premiere of our horror western show, Simon Colt. Yeah, this stuff is spooky. I'm excited. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah. I haven't even heard it. Yes. So, so tonight marks be... the premiere? That yes. is yeah. just is the... how new it is. Yes. It's pretty bad. Brand, brand spanking, spanking new. Yes. Hey. 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 You right. both said that because I said it earlier in the show. Did False. you? True. Well, I guess it's been I wasn't listening to you, so okay, that is so a possibility. We're going to play an episode of this, then we're going to do some more Asimov stuff, and then the return <laughs> of the Eye of Argon. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> People seemed to enjoy it last week, mm-hmm. uh, especially Alex's father. He yes. wrote us a very entertaining missive that we'll probably read later, later in the show. Mm-hmm. But for now, turn off all the lights in your home, huddle close to your radios, and prepare yourselves. It's not every day you see a man that looks like he's sewn together. I'm Simon Colt. You must think I'm just an old man who's lost too many fights, but I've seen things. Things you've only heard about in whispers. I've seen the glow in a demon's eyes and airships 400 feet across hung in the sky like cherries on a tree. I've heard a banshee shriek in the night. If you don't believe me, believe my scars, like these three cuts here on my arm. Believe this scar and my story of how we knocked over Crookston's bank of how five men left that town and only two came back. Believe in the monster of Horse Killed Canyon. Gunshots, a nice way to start a bank robbery. I'm sorry, it just went off. Everyone calm down. But apologizing after one is asking for trouble. I mean, calm as cattle, understand? My associate over there has a delicate disposition. And you wouldn't want to ruin that disposition, would you? No, sir. I recognize those scars and those six guns. That's Simon Cole. Good. Then you know we're not fooling around. Let's keep this transaction professional. Don't even think of us as bank robbers. We're just two customers making a large withdrawal, right? Right, right, sir. Now, do your profession proud. Place that withdrawal in this sack here. All right, sir. How much will you be withdrawing today? Every damn dollar you got. Right, sir. Of course, sir. Simon, cover that bank teller while he grabs it all. I'll look after our audience here. Yep. With luck, Craig might have ignored that shot. You sons of bitches. I said quiet. I said no shots. Your withdrawal, sir? Settle down. We got what we came for. What we've got is the attention of every law-abiding citizen who heard that shot. Let's go. Thanks for your cooperation, folks. You might want to find a different bank, though. This one's just been cleaned out. I heard firing. What happened? Where's your nephew? Covering the back. Call him. We're making tracks. Trouble? Could be. Hear that? Sounds like horses. Sounds like a posse. Vamps! Yeah? We're leaving. Did we get it? Yeah, we got it. How much? Can I see? Later. All right. Let's ride.
we rode away from the sheriff's guns into a wasteland of rock. Hard riding, not riding. Damn! Problem, boy. It's my horse. He practically failed from under me. Small wonder. Wasted little thing probably burned away a hundred pounds on the ride over here. This would be a good place to stop. Just let him rest here. You killed him! You shot him in the head! We don't have time to rest. Ride with your uncle. Most men would say William Craig outgunned me for cruelty. Sometimes I'd have to agree. He hired us. A five-man job. Craig was the boss, Lee Birch, my partner in the bank, did the talking. Thomas Grinyard and his nephew, Phipp, provided the firepower. And me, I was insurance. Expensive insurance. But my face meant we hardly ever had to pull out our pistols. Except against the law, man. Come on, giddy up! Yeah! Not such a bad trail to be on, is it, Simon? Not bad at all. Whoa! All right. Take a good look at those canyons, boys, because that's where we're going. Mind being a little more specific? Right there between those two buttes. There's caves in there that go down for miles. We'll wait there until that posse breaks up. Then we'll divide the loot, go our separate ways. Jesus Christ, look at them rocks, Simon. Like orange teeth. So God's an artist. Hope he has a soft spot for bank robbers. Come on, boys! Sooner we're out of sight, the better! Right here! It's too dark. I can't see anything. This is home for the next few weeks, so get acquainted with it. Enough caves in these rocks to make the sheriff think twice about searching all of them. Make yourself cozy. I'm getting firewood. Right. One more thing. Your bullets. I want them. All of them. What? By the sound of it, there's more than two dozen men in that posse. Only five of us. If they find us, bullets is only going to kill some of them, make the rest angrier. Now I got four outlaws with hot tempers and a sheriff who sure as hell know where I am if there's a gunshot out here. I take away the bullets, I take away the chance of one of you being dumb enough to use them. I don't like this, Craig. Well, good thing to stand in democracy. I'm in charge, and now I've got my gun drawn. So bullets, now. Good. I'll be back soon. I was about to draw on him. I really was. He just pulled our teeth. Bill Craig, the most cautious man this side of the Mississippi. Yeah, why? Up in St. Louis, Craig used to be a banker's clerk. Damn good one, too, I heard. That is, until he met Miss Sally O'Neill. Pretty girl, that Sally. At least that's what I've heard. Pretty, yes. Craig was head over heels, but Sally demanded a rich wedding right then and there. A bank clerk makes a decent wage, but not that decent. So she needled him, squawked at him, till the bank clerk robbed his own bank. Got away with it, too. <laughs> so, after the heat's off, and Miss Sally O'Neill has got her money for a nice wedding, does she marry old Craig? Nope. What? Why? Because it turns out, Miss O'Neill's a gambler with hefty bills to pay. So she took the bank money and gave it to every card shark she owned, then skipped town. And now here's Craig. No money, no woman, 
and now a fugitive. Damn. Yes, sir. You won't find a man more careful with his money. Not after that. You're faster than Craig, Simon. You could have drawn on him. Why didn't you? Because Craig's right. Lee let off a shot on accident in the bank, and your nephew looks green enough to be planted. Craig's got a sense for these things. How do you figure? Stories I heard said Craig's father left him when he was a babe. His mom died of a fever when he was 14, eldest of a big family. Folks said before he became a banker, he turned to cattle rustling to survive. If he's a rustler who lived, he might know a thing or two about keeping out of harm's way. What if we need our guns? Then we'll just have to hope old Craig gives us our bullets. Firewood! Hand me that pan over there, by my horse. Well, there's dinner. I'm sure they think the same thing about us. Eerie enough. You ever seen what a pack of wolves can do to livestock? No. Tears them apart. Nothing left but bones and gristle. I'd appreciate you not scaring my nephew, Lee. I'm not scared. Of course he's not. How old are you, boy? Near 17, give or take a few weeks. Grown. Old enough to rob banks. Why are you traveling with Tom here? He's not the type to appreciate company. He's my sister's son. Got into some trouble back home fighting and drinking. Came to me with a note saying there just wasn't enough wild in Virginia anymore for a young buck like him. Mom said if I was fixing to be an outlaw, I should learn from the best. <laughs> Why, Thomas Grinier, I never figured you for one to take in straight. You ever hear the story about these caves? Another story, Lee? Well, a storyteller, Simon. Couldn't help it if I tried. I've told stories from New York to Texas. Some of those stories are about you. Is this one? No. This one's about these canyons and these wolves and how outlaws go missing around here, sending back horses without riders. The Apaches don't come around these parts and The Apaches don't come around here because the Mexicans killed most of them and then the army killed the rest. If you're done jawing, supper's getting cold. There weren't any other stories that night, and the only sounds were the wind and the wolves outside. Every howl made Greenyard's nephew wince, but it was the wind that got to me. It blows through caves, turns them into pipe organs. A certain kind of man can imagine all kinds of monsters making those sounds. We bedded down, and Craig put the boy on first watch. Woke to screams. What the hell is that? Something that'll attract the sheriff's attention. Damn sure. We should consider relocating. Get Phipps. We're moving. He's gone, Craig. Along with the horses. What? He was standing by those rocks? Yeah. Nothing there but blood. Let me see. Jesus. 
A lot of it, too. It's on your hands now. What do you mean? You sent him out there alone. The sheriff's out there, too. All Phipps had was a gun without bullets and a knife he didn't know how to use. Hold on a sec. This wasn't the sheriff. How do you know? If it was the sheriff, why isn't he here right now aiming a shotgun at all of us? Maybe he could have thought Phipps was alone. He could have... You're missing something else. That's Phipps, and it don't sound like he's just whistling Dixie. Sounds like wolves to me. They'd attack humans if they were hungry enough. Then let's pull them off of him. Tom, you're a tracker. You can find him. We won't need to. We'll just follow the blood. Give us our bullets, Craig. No! The sheriff might not hear those screams over the wind. I wouldn't bet he'll miss a gunshot. He's my nephew, Craig. My kin. No. William, please. No. We do this my way. Let's... Uh... What is it? My pack feels lighter than normal. The loot's gone. I don't give a damn about the loot. Craig, we've got to go. What are you waiting for? It's a damn lot of money, Tom. I'm not just gonna... He's dying out there! We've got to track him down. All right. First, we find him. Then we'll see about the loot. Like Tom said, follow the blood. We followed that gruesome trail for what seemed like miles. Seems one person shouldn't have that much blood to lose. The more of it we saw, the darker Tom's mood got. It stops here, at this hole. Wait, I think it goes down a ways. Hand me that torch. I'll go down first. doesn't go down far, widens out a bit. Can you see him? It's too dark. He's hard to make out. I can see his torch. I've got decent night vision. Let me look. Damn, it's dark. I can't see... Wait. He's over there! Right there! Can you see him? Yeah. Fifth is on some rocks down the tunnel. Craig's going over to him. Jesus. Tom! He's... He's hurt bad. All ripped open. I... Can't see how the wolves did this. I think he's. Is he alive? Uh, yes, he's moving. Fitz, Fitz, are you all right? Thank you, Jesus. Fitz, he's he's starting to shake, Tom. I can't. What's going on? What can you see? It's hard to tell. Craig's blocking my view. Get back! What's going on? Simon, what is it? Jesus Christ! Fips, get back, damn it! Simon, for Christ's sakes, what's going on? He's shooting Fips, Simon! What the hell's going on? It's on me. Lord have mercy. It's coming for us. What is, Simon? What is? Just run for the love of God. Run! We ran from it. We ran from it. Every time we wanted to stop, every time we wanted to catch our breath, we didn't. 
hear it behind us. Deep, hungry breaths right over our shoulders. Until we finally lost it. I think we can stop a second. What is it, Simon? We can't be running from Phipps. You heard Bill. He said Phipps could barely move. What the hell were we running from? I don't know. I've seen things that could stop a man's heart, but that... I don't know what that was. It was a werewolf. How the hell do you know that? You don't travel as much as me without hearing some fancy tales. What's this got to do with Phipps? One of these stories I heard is about beasts. It was part wolf and part man. It's, it's like a disease. If one of those things bit you every full moon, you'd become just, just like a beast. A demon who'd kill his own brother. Well, I'll tell you another story. Bill saw Phipps hurt and went crazy with guilt. He pulled out his own gun and... It's the truth, Tom. Simon. I saw it. One minute Phipps was on the ground, leaking like a bucket of blood with holes. The next he's tearing through Bill. If there's anything I've learned over the years, Tom, it's that circumstances change. And you gotta change with them. I don't understand any of this. There's not always time to understand. I saw Bill pump six shots into that thing at point-blank range. As near as I'm speaking to you now. And it didn't bat an eye. Lee, how do we hurt it? Even better, how do we kill it? Silver. You need to hit its heart with a bit of silver, like an arrow, or, or a knife blade, or... Uh... A silver bullet? Yeah. That, that might work. Our bullets are all lead, and Craig had all of them anyway. You fancy going back there to get them? No, but if we had a bit of silver, we could make bullets. You were a gunsmith a while back. Do you have any silver in your knife, your belt buckle, spurs? I'm an outlaw, Simon. Where in the hell would I get enough money to buy silver anything? Hell, the only silver for miles was probably in that bank loot that we don't have anymore. I... I wouldn't be so sure of that. Uh, I stole it. <laughs> when Craig was sleeping. Son of a... Tom, if he hadn't taken it, we'd have no chance. He may be a bastard for trying to keep it all for himself, <laughs> but right now I'm damn glad he did. That's mighty kind, Simon. Had things gone differently, you'd have come down with lead poisoning or hemp fever. But now, we've got other concerns. Like killing whatever Phipps turned into. Why? The horizon looks pretty tempting to me. Without horses, that thing will run us down. The only way out of this is bloody. What do you think, Tom? Big game like that? I'd say a trap, with its favorite meal as bait. Yeah? What's that? Us. Not us, Simon. Me. I'll sit out in the open while you two hide. Once it comes running, bushwhack the damn thing. Bit dangerous, Tom. If you can think of something better, go ahead. If not, let's see how much silver the bank had on hand. Guess that's my cue. He opened the bag and let it spill out. Some paper money, but also gold and above all, silver. I was once on ether's account of a punctured lung. Seeing that metal had the same effect. Calms you with joy. True outlaws love gold and silver like most men love women. I never did meet a woman who looked and sounded as good as those coins did. Two bags of silver coins. Worth thousands. Maybe tens of thousands of dollars. How much do you think we'll need to melt down... All of it. In case one of us misses. Hand it here. 
I could have sworn Lee shed a tear as Tom took out his bullet-rendering tools from his pack. It took some time, and every passing second we knew the thing was getting closer. But in the end, it was enough silver for a full barrel for each of us, and a little extra. Here, this place looks good. Only one way in, a clear center, and rocks on either side. You loaded? Yeah, Tom. Then head up on those rocks. All right, you ready, boys? Yeah. yeah. Okay, then. Why don't we just get its attention? As I was out walking one morning for pleasure, I saw a young cowpoke riding along. His hat was thrown back, and his spurs were jingling. And as he approached, he was singing this song. Whoopie-tie-yo, get along, little doggies. It's your misfortune and none of my... Well, come on in, Fitz. I've been waiting for you. Jesus Christ! Damn it, get it off me! Thanks! You've been bitten, Tom. Pretty badly, too. Seems that way. I'm sorry, Tom. Oh, that old tune. Well, it's about time. Can't have me going wild like Phipps did, I suppose. A few requests? Sure, Tom. The loot. You still got it? Yeah, we put it back in the sack. Give it here. There. See? No reason to apologize. I'm dying rich and with my boots on. That's more than most bandits get anyway. Think it's about time you finish that song, Simon. Be seeing you. Be seeing you, Tom. You think a moment of silence is in order? Yep. It's the first one! Oh, the we didn't even think about it! Look out! Uh, I'm empty! Shoot it, Lee! Silent! I can't! Damn it! Stop gumming and start shooting! Damn you, son of a bitch! Is there a reason why your trigger finger was sleeping, or do you just not like it? I'm sorry, Simon. I just. Can't shoot. Not well. So that's why I didn't hear your shots at Phipps. And that's why I let the shot off in the bank. A couple of years back, I was, I was getting ready to pose for a picture, and cameraman gave me a pistol for looks and forgot it was loaded. And as he was handing it to me, it went off and blew a hole clear through my right palm. I never did learn to shoot with my left. You might want to do that. You know what they call an outlaw who can't shoot? Deceased. Simon, you got some marks on your shoulder. Those rocks are sharp. Damn thing pushed me into them. Looks like bite marks to me, Simon. Where are you going with this, Lee? I think you know, Simon. 
Hold it. You right there. Drop the gun. Sheriff! This is a shotgun. Unless you drop that arm, next word you say is gonna be in front of the pearly gates. How'd you find us, Sheriff? Heard the shots. You boys know better than to draw on each other when you're hiding out. You know, Sheriff, I'm actually looking forward to sleeping in jail tonight. As a matter of fact, cold stone and barred windows are going to help me sleep better than silk. Well, that's it. But right now I'm guessing you're still wondering about those marks on my arm. Was it the beast or those rocks that made them? You'll just have to wait for a full moon to find out. My head's full of stories like that. Stories that'll warm your blood with hope or cool it with fear. Some of them are simple but strange like what happened to Phipps. Some leave me up for hours at night thinking. I often think about how I lost a finger to the tombstone witch. Stay a while and you'll find out how. And you are listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. If you're a discriminating sort of listener, you can listen online at KWUR.com or check us out in the iTunes store. Just search for KWUR Theater of the Air or any of our names. I'm David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And I'm Alex Jensen, and I think I wet my pants. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, you you just heard Simon Colt. And the monster of Horsekill Canyon. Yep. The world premiere episode of Simon Colt, one of our original series here on KWR Theater of the Air. Yep. And uh, may I just say. It. Oh, yes. Sorry. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, really to, not to toot our own horns, <laughs> but, but I think we all agreed that it was awesome. How awesome it was. Yes. Is writer and director Ruben Basker. Okay, Welcome, hey. Ruben. Talking to the microphone. Come here. Hey, what's up? What's Hi, Ruben. On? Welcome to the show. Welcome. Hey, what's Welcome indeed. So, Ruben <laughs> is uh, is the creator yeah. of Simon Colt. Yes, I am. The man responsible for the 30 minutes of horror that you just endured. <laughs> 23, but let's not, let's not split hairs. <laughs> right. Said, uh, so why don't we pick his brain about Simon okay. Colt a little here? Shoot, go ahead. What do you want? All right. I think. The most obvious question, where did Simon Colt come from? Where'd you get the idea? Uh, well, first off, you have to realize that uh, I'm a guy with a lot of interests. Uh, I'm a bio major, but uh, I'm actually really interested in writing and theater and uh, film. I love horror movies. I'm a huge horror film geek. Mm. Like, if you like horror movies, please, like, talk to me. If you want to talk <laughs> about Inside, I really want to see that movie or let the right one in. That's... Those are good movies that are coming out. But anyway, uh, like, the whole thing about Simon Colt was I really really felt I wanted to, like, write and get that outlet out. But I was doing a whole bunch of boring biology. So I was like, uh-huh. I, I got to do something different from this for a little bit. So I sat down and uh, I kind of came up with the idea. If, uh, if anybody followed the old DC comics, uh, c- DC comics, uh, called Jonah Hex, uh, Simon Colt is like yes, loosely. Yes, I've definitely heard of that. Yeah, it's like loosely based on that one. I'm glad that we actually got uh, our episode out before the uh, Jonah Hex movie coming out 2010. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it looks like they borrowed from us. They're like, oh, a scarred like cowboy. Yeah, 
but who fights the occult. Doesn't Jonah Hex like? Doesn't he have magical powers? Right? Isn't he like a yeah, sorcerer? Yeah, not no, like not like a sorcerer. <laughs> That's the one difference that he do, he doesn't have he doesn't have magic powers in Simon Cult might. I don't know. Maybe oh, we'll write that in. Okay. Or he might be a, a werewolf now. Yeah, he, he might be a witch doctor. <laughs> yeah. Boot. Yeah. I was very much a fan of ha- of the ambiguity of the ending of that. Yeah. I, mean, I must say. I mean, the Let show me just is, compliment you on that. Is like that. Yeah. I mean, you don't know that much about Simon. Yeah. Like the thing about Simon Colt's character is that the thing is he's he's a scarred person, and the sh- every show I, I'd like to start out with, he has he has a scar and he tells you a story about it. So it's you know this nice little thing where it's where he has these stories that kind of make up his personality, and instead of like learning all his backstory at one time. You're kind of going through the journey with Simon, and you're finding out about his life. And, and like, uh, we're going to take him some interesting places. Like, he's not going to be a one-note kind of character. Like, I would, like, hopefully I can get people to come back and be like, oh, what's Simon up to today? <laughs> so, like, and, crazy hijinks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Something else that I noticed, I mean, producing, producing this stuff with you uh, is that, you know, you're selling yourself short. Not only do you, you know, you like... You like uh, horror and you like writing. You you're also a big history buff. Like I am. It seems like it. The stuff that you and Eli write is just. It seems like there's a lot of research and knowledge behind you know behind these scripts. Oh, that's just uh, that's just being a good liar. Because like for for Simon Mm. Colt, I might have like picked out one book in the library on like mining or for, for for a mining episode, or I might have taken one book about the Old West, and, like, I mean, you have to understand that this is not, like, oh, it's, the, like, there's werewolves and stuff in it. It's not like, oh, no, the, the Battle of Gettysburg didn't happen in that time. It happened, it's, it, we're, this, this is a universe that we've created, and, uh, like, is we, th- there is no specific year, is there? Uh, th- there's a specific year, and, like, that we have written down in our show Bible, but, like, it, it's more like, it's more the feeling of the show, so it's, so... Like it's a weird West kind of story. I mean, I don't know how many people are familiar with that, but I yeah, am. yeah, it's like, it's a whole kind of that kind of genre where you have you know odd things happen. You have ghosts and werewolves, and it's it's not. Uh, I didn't come the up with this. Music was great. The yeah. sound effects were great. It was it, it was a great bit of radio stuff. Yeah. It's a great. It's a great, like they're still doing stuff with that, and like I I, I just love that stuff. Like I'm, I'm a huge occult kind of guy. So, so okay, when you so, oh go ahead. sorry go ahead that's fine nope you go. Okay. Well, I, I was just going to ask. I was just wondering. Wow. I, <laughs> I knew. Said, no, I'm, I'm going. I'm a lady. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering. You know, when you I see, I was a bio major at one time as well, yeah. and I so I I understand the need to like you know express your creative side. So, um, I'm just wondering if you saw this as a as a radio uh, program from from the get go, or did you sit down and just write these stories and then say, well, maybe it would be good for radio? How how did that come about? Did you have radio in mind? Uh, to begin with, or yeah, actually, because cool. when I when I was thinking about it, uh, oh god, I like my friends would know this, but I was actually really big into stop motion animation for a little while. Nice. And the reason why was because I was trying to do like, because I I love like the old Ray Bradbury stories where you have mm-hmm. this, you have something interesting that happens and something magical that happens, and I like transporting people to different places, yeah, and that whole kind of magical realism. I love that stuff. Yeah, I love. But I don't realism. have like. Uh, 140 million dollars, like I am legend, <laughs> to make this whole dead New York yep. City. That's so, also true. But on the radio, it's like, 
oh, it's the Omega Man. He's, fight, he's fighting these. You hear him fighting the uh, zombies and the vampires and or whatever. And he's giant and he glows blue and he has this enormous. David? <laughs> <laughs> okay. He didn't have an enormous anything. Enormous parasol. <laughs> sure. That's what he's trying to say to yeah. him from the, uh, the, the acid rain of the future. Yeah, and, and like another thing. Of course. Right, David? <laughs> another yes, thing, sir. I guess it's like, uh, like I, 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 w- I want to make something. Like it, the best possible scenario, I want to make something that sounds good and, and works like as a story mm-hmm. and has people use their imagination. It's yeah. like, come on, guys. Don't you remember that old like pink, like purple dragon or something? I don't know if anybody remembers this. I, I kind of do. But what, it's like. Dragon? No, it's like this old, like, kind of kid show kind of thing called, like, Imagination. There was this dude in a top hat, and there was, like, this purple dragon that followed him around. Oh, you mean the, not, the, the not Disney Eureka's, thing? Not Eureka's Castle. No, hey, the, uh, I don't like, know. If nobody understands Eureka's what I'm talking Castle? about, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but I'm like, I, I want people to use their imaginations again. We no, I, I know what you're talking about. There's a ride in Disney World. Yeah, I know. I've been there. Yeah, it's yeah. It's really freaky. No, I know, I know what you're talking about. room. And everything's upside down. Yeah, yeah. And they have like a faucet there where it drips down like yeah. on the water. And I'm like, awesome, Imagineers. No, the the whole ride is about, yeah, imagination. It's not, and it's not Pete's ride? Nope. No, it, and they have no, this no. song that goes like, imagine. Imagine. I yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember the, the, the dragon's just, name. You were just there, weren't you? I go every year. Oh. Okay, that's <laughs> not creepy at all. <laughs> so I, do, I know pretty well. Actually, that's the second version of the ride that you're talking about. Oh, there were whoa. two versions, yes, and you I've just, experienced both you of them. Just dropped some knowledge. Did yes, I just going to listen. Yes, well, um, anyway, continue with the imagination. Okay, but but it's like, <laughs> and especially with all this like new stuff that's going on, it's like you'll have like studios that go out with like, oh, by the way, instead of actually like working on like really good special effects, like, doing real things. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do CGI a lot. Uh, and we're not, we're, like... We don't like, want to do that. Like, I like <laughs> I, I, I like Transformers in the fact that it was, like, huge robots, like, attacking each other, but mm-hmm. I hated it in the fact that it was, like, a big car commercial. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, good good, good job, GM. Like, uh, I, like, I like how, you know... Being really in worked. Transformers did not prevent you from going bankrupt. Yeah, it's like, wait, did you, is, that, is that what you spent your money on? Yeah, okay. But anyway, so it's like I, I really think that uh, like the, the power of a story like doesn't like that really doesn't diminish. And when you have all these remakes coming out from Hollywood, yeah, like I like like I'm I'm not gonna say that mine the, my story is far from an original idea. It's like a mixture of like Hellboy and like a mixture of Jonah Hex <laughs> and a mixture of like probably Batman and all these different things. Well, sure, but. So is everything, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like... Right, it's but like, it's it's your particular mixture. I, 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 it's I'd like suppose. everybody, if everybody has the same set yeah. of story chemicals in little vials, this is your particular yeah. mixture of that. Uh-huh. So, like, it, it's not a completely original thing, but I'm, 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 it's not like I'm making a remake. It's not, it's like... It's no. like, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's like an homage to Jonah Hex, because I like these things. I, li- I like what they're doing. And uh, I, I really think that you know we can start telling these new stories, and we don't need like a billion dollar budget. We got people, we got we got a lot of lot of heart behind what we do. So you know we we can make good stories. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's absolutely. True. Do, do we have time for one more question or one more question? Are we gonna okay? Good. Here's my Fired question off. for you, Ruben. Okay. <laughs> because David was telling me about this a little bit. Could you describe a little bit for our listeners your style of directing? Because it's very it sounds very different to me. From the way that you know, David is the director of Sky Pirates. I'm the director for the Human Chord, uh, and he and I each have our particular ways of directing. What's your 
method? How do you go about it? Uh, I would have to say that I come from, like, I used to do a lot of theater in uh, high school. I did, like, a play uh, in college. So I'm, I'm I, like, I've been an actor, and this is probably my first directing kind of thing. And so uh, I'm, I'm, to direct, I normally take uh, what really worked for me when a director is there. It's like if a director has a vision and knows, knows where they're going, but they don't try to, like, force you into a box, that's what I like. What I like a director is to give me a feeling and to like give me like a sandbox to play in, and if I'm and if I unfortunately like try to take the shovel and like dig out my eye, like they'll say, wait, 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 <laughs> no, you know. And, and first off, you, like when you're directing, you can't say no. Never say no. It's a bad thing to do. Instead of saying yes, but do, don't do that again. Yeah, it's like instead of saying don't dig out your eye, I'd be like, you know, that's a good idea. Okay, I, I like where you're. I like where you're going with it. But let's try a different. Thing here where we use the sand and we'll, we'll just see we'll see which one's better and we can compare the two afterwards so i, I, I like I, I like like i would hope that i would be an actor's director and i would hope that I, I like i just give people to play and what i want from an actor like bottom line is i would like them to give me something like i i don't want a machine that i can program something into and be like i when i was writing this character i was like also like since, since I, I don't write all the shows but I, I wrote this specific one and i write a couple of the other ones so when, I, when I'm writing a character, it's like, oh, they sound like this. But when somebody comes to me and says, oh, no, they sound like this and their way's better, yeah, you're right, their way is better. So whatever works for the story. So what I want from an actor is, you know, bring, bring something to the story. It's like, it's like a potluck. All, 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 everything <laughs> I do, I hope it's like a potluck. And we don't end up with, like, a whole bunch. It's not like I'm going there and, like, oh, this is a whole bunch of coleslaw. We're going to eat coleslaw all the time. And you're going to like Ew. it. No, we're going to eat gonna be... coleslaw in our sandbox. I like coleslaw. While we're stabbing ourselves our in the eye with shovels. shovels. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right. Thank you, Best Ruben. analogies Thanks, ever. Thanks, Thank you for coming. Yeah. It's right. been Thank a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad you had me over here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you on the show again. Okay. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Yes, indeed. So definitely, listeners, stay tuned. Uh, to future episodes for yeah. more Simon Cult. But now, a message from Alex. There will always be fires to put out around the office, unless your office isn't around anymore. Whether natural or man-made, at least one in four businesses affected by a disaster never reopen, though emergencies are unpredictable. When you have a plan in place, you can better adapt, recover, and stay in control. Go to ready.gov and make your company's disaster plan. Ready.gov. It's never too late to protect your business. Until it is. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. All right. Thank you very much, Alex. You're welcome. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in just a bit with more K-Worth Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM. Ow! Kick it!
Hey there, folks. This is the K-Word Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM. Hi. Clayton. Hi. There was a last part. I failed. I'm sorry. I sorry. jumped the gun. I'm sorry. You jumped the gun. My name is David Brunel Brutman. And I'm Alex Jensen. And tonight we're presenting for you Isaac Asimov. That's our theme. And I found, for your listening pleasure, a couple of pretty good radio adaptations of some excellent Isaac Asimov stories. Isaac Asimov, of course, being the famous science fiction writer, uh, very well known for his robot series of books and his foundation series of books. He's, if you've ever heard of the three laws of robotics, Alex, have you ever heard of the three laws of robotics? No, but I, I, I know this guy's name, and so I must know he something. In, he invented <laughs> that. Okay. He, he the in, three laws of robotics? Yeah. What all, are they? All of his robot stories are based around these three rules that the, these three sort of ethical rules that robots follow Ethic, which, ethical rules yeah yeah they're like moral rules that's really interesting like the robots themselves are things you have to yeah. keep in mind when you're building a robot no no the robots themselves are hardwired with these three laws that essentially protect human beings this was asimov's oh. response to you know he's writing this in uh the very early 1940s mm-hmm. and before that There are all these robot stories about, you know, robots go haywire, kill humanity. Why did we create these horrible things? They Mm -hmm. turned against us. It was inevitable. And Asimov said, that's bull. (laughs) Why wouldn't you just program your robots with rules that would prevent these things from happening? So the three laws of robotics are, I just pulled them up here. One, a robot may not injure a human being or... Through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Interesting. So basically, all of the robots in Isaac Asimov's universe are hardwired with these laws that Mm -hmm. protect human beings from robots. I like that. And the way his stories are structured are like around the sort of weird loopholes of these laws. Hmm. You know, what happens in the space between these laws. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've hyped this so much now, and w- we don't actually have any radio adaptations of his robot stories, but that's what he's most famous for. <laughs> what I am going to play for you, however, next is a story called Nightfall. Okay, and you if uh, you know a little bit about science fiction, you may have heard of this story. It was in, I believe, 1968, voted by the Science Fiction Writers Guild or something to that effect, the best science fiction story of all time. And it is a very good story. It's about a strange planet, very much like our own. But uh, the, the one key difference between our world and this world is that this world has six suns, and they keep the entire surface of a planet in perpetual daylight. Wow. And the story is about what happens when the suns happen to go out. So, without further ado, I will play for you this very excellent adaptation of this very excellent story, Nightfall, by Isaac Asimov. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. 
From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of Astounding Science Fiction, presents... X minus one... Night Story, Nightfall, by Isaac Asimov. Ralph Waldo Emerson speculated, if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would man believe and adore and perceive for many generations the remembrance of the city of God? This was philosophically interesting. But on the edge of the galaxy, a planet swings on its orbit in a cluster of six suns. These suns hang in the sky above. Never less than two shine down through the entire 23.8 hours of the planet's day. The yellow light has burned down on the planet continuously, into the past till the mind of man runneth not to the contrary. Theremon was a reporter for the Sarrow City Chronicle. He covered them all, from the night police beat to politics to the sports pages, and the city editor wanted him to cover the biggest story of the year, perhaps of all time. It was an interview, a particularly difficult interview. But then, since his first days as a cub, Theremon had specialized in difficult interviews. It cost him bruises, black eyes, and broken bones, but it had gotten him an ample supply of coolness and self-confidence. He didn't expect violence, though, from an astronomer. You're from that newspaper? Well, you've got a lot of gall coming here. Now, look, Dr. Aton, it's only a job. I've read your paper. You've been writing this observatory for two months now. You've attacked me personally. I have nothing to say to you. Well, this is your chance to get your side into the paper. Look, Dr. Aton, I'll give it to you straight. Two months ago, the observatory issued a press statement that the world was coming to an end. Now, that's the same story the cult of the Book of Revelations had been preaching. Now, when a scientist backs that up, it's news. Our conclusions have nothing to do with the cult. The cult is full of superstition and mysticism. We're scientists. You've got the people pretty angry. It doesn't matter. If I can't get the story from you, I'll have to go somewhere else. Go ahead. The paper can be pretty rough on someone who doesn't cooperate, Dr. Aton. Young man, if you're not out of the observatory within five minutes, I shall call the police. Now, get out. The reporter walks down the long hall from the observatory. The light filters through the high, clear story windows, the yellow light of gamma, the brightest of the six suns in the planet's sky. Beta is almost at zenith. Its red light floods the landscape to an unusual orange. The planet's sun, Alpha, is at the antipodes. And now as gamma sinks below the horizon, the red dwarf sun, Beta, is alone, grimly alone. It's a short drive from the observatory to Saro City, and the red light glares from the highway. The temple of the cult stands hewn from the solid rock of the Dormite Mountains outside the city, and in the inner courtyard stands Sor, the priest of the cult. 
Woe to the unbelievers. Their souls will rot with the absence of light. Tell me, Your Reverence, what will happen? What are you waiting for here? The day. The day of the coming. It is written in the book of Revelations. It came to pass the sun beta was alone in the sky. And the world was shrunken and cold. And men did assemble in the public squares and highways. Their minds were troubled and their speech confused. For the souls of men awaited the coming of the stars. And the lip of the cave of darkness passed the edge of beta. And loud were the cries of men. And there was no light on the surface of the world. And in this blackness there appeared the stars in countless numbers. And in that moment the souls of men departed from them. And their abandoned bodies became even as beasts. From the stars then reached down the heavens flame. And where it touched, the cities of the world flamed to destruction. So that of man and all the works of man not remained. So it is written. Dr. Sharon, you're the only scientist I could find in the city. Where is everybody? In the hideout. The hideout? Yes, but the place bored me. I wanted to be out here where things are getting hot. I want to see the stars the cultists are talking about. Besides, they don't want me at the hideout. I'm too scrawny to survive. What is the hideout? Well, we professors have managed to convince a few people that our prophecy of doom is valid. We've got about 3,000 people... They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the stars can't get at them. We hope they'll survive and leave the records. Survive? Survive what? Well, how true it is, I can't say. But the, the cultists say that every 2,050 years, all the suns disappear. And there is a total darkness, and then they say things called stars appear. Of course, men go mad. They, they mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions... Uh, but that's the central idea. But that's impossible, isn't it? I mean, there are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time four or five. There aren't now. Only beta. You mean that there is going to be worldwide darkness tomorrow, that all mankind will go violently insane? What's behind that? Well, for one thing, the history of civilization of the world. We have located a series of cycles of civilizations comparable to our own, all of which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. But is there any scientific theory behind this which would explain it? Well, the University Observatory finished their calculations two months ago. And tomorrow there will be an eclipse of beta so that the planet will become dark. That eclipse comes every 2,049 years. Darkness. And maybe those mysterious stars that no man has seen. And then madness and the end of civilization. And you expect to live through this at the hideout? They plan to photograph the eclipse and leave the records. And then the rest of mankind will know what to expect. Well, what is there in darkness to drive men mad? Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? Well, no, but I know what it is. It's just no light. Oh. Uh, draw the curtain. Why, what for? If we had four or five suns out there, we might want to cut the light down for comfort, but with only beta... Ah, that's the point. Just draw the curtain and then come here and sit down. All right. 
I can't see you. Feel your way. But I can't see you. I can't see anything. Do you like it? Oh, it's awful. The walls seem... They seem to be closing in on me. I, I, I keep wanting to push them away. All right, all right. Draw the curtain back again. Oh, the light, the light. I... Oh, do you have a drink? Right here. Now, that was just a dark room. Yes, but it wasn't really so bad. You're afraid? Just darkness could do that? This isn't just a metaphysical theory, young man. It's promulgated from observed data. Well, come with me. Where? The locked wall down the corridor. Um, were you at the Cerro Citizentennial Exposition two years ago? I was overseas on assignment. Well, you remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area? Oh, yes. Wasn't there some fuss about that? The uh, anti-vice society had it shut down. Oh, it was shut down, all right. But the Blue Noses had nothing to do with it. That tunnel was nothing but a mile-long passage through darkness. You rode in a little car, and it took 15 minutes to get through. Oh, <laughs> It was very popular while it lasted. Popular? Well, there's a, there's a fascination to be frightened when it's part of a game. Absence of light is one of the instinctive human fears. People came out of that 15 minutes of darkness shaking and half dead with fear. Well, weren't there some deaths? Oh, bad hearts, but that wasn't the big danger. Now, uh... Which key is this? Ah. Where are we going? You'll see. No, the uh, heart attacks were actually good for business, but uh, there was something else. Here, I'll show you. I, uh, I want you to see somebody. Latimer. Latimer. Go, go away. Latimer, I want you to meet somebody. This is Mr. Theremon. No, no, go away. Hello? He's pushing me. Make him stop pushing me. Go away. I'm not touching him. What's wrong? Latimer is afraid, aren't you? The walls. They're falling in on me. The walls. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. Let me out. You can't go out, Latimer. It's, it's all right. I've got to get out. Let me out. Let me out. Let me out. At, uh, at sleeping period, we have to give him a shot of morphine. Otherwise, he'd bat his brains against the wall. What's wrong with him? Nothing. Nothing but 15 minutes in the darkness of the tunnel of mystery. Oh, that's impossible. One person out of ten came out of the tunnel that way. That's why we had it shut down. But why should darkness do that? It's obvious men cannot exist without light. Longer periods of darkness would obviously be fatal. The scientific theory is that the consciousness of light is necessary for mental activity. Please, doctor, let me outside. Let me out, please. I, I can't breathe. They're pushing me. They're always pushing me. I can't stand here. <laughs> 
Well, there you are, Fetterman. That's what 15 minutes of darkness will do. Man just wasn't built to operate without light. There are always at least two suns in the sky, most of the time more. Just 15 minutes of darkness. Now, look out of that window. Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. Black. Everything black. And uh, stars, whatever they are, can you conceive it? No, your mind wasn't built for that conception. When the real thing comes, you will go mad. Completely and permanently. There is no question of it. Tomorrow, there won't be a city left standing in the world. Why should the cities be destroyed? <laughs> if you were in darkness, what would you want more than anything else? What would it be that every instinct would call for? Light. And how would you get light? I don't know. You'd burn something. They've got to have light. They've got to burn something. And every city in the world will go up in flames. Well, uh, shall we go back to my office, Mr. Theremin, and uh, have another drink? Through the skies, the red sun beta shines alone. The wind howls across the city. It is cold. Colder than man can remember. And as the hour approaches, the reporter goes out and speaks to the man in the street. Excuse me, where are you going now? Home for supper. How about, uh, well, I mean, what are you going to do tonight? Oh, you mean about this star stuff? Look, I'll tell you, mister, I got nothing against religion, see? But it don't stand a reason that the end of the world is going to come boom like that. It just don't stand a reason. Have you read what the scientists say? I don't read stuff like that. Only the headlines. Well, how about the cult? Well, now, like I say, I've got nothing against religion. You don't believe them either. Oh, they've always been shouting about doom and sin. Listen, when you've been around as long as I have, you get to know the score. It's all right to preach judgment day is coming and all that, but huh, just the same, I'm putting money in the bank. How about darkness? About what? How would you feel if there were no light? <laughs> you crazy. How could there be no light? Well, suppose all the suns went down at once. Suppose everything was black. That's crazy. What's the use of supposing something like that? It couldn't happen. It's crazy. That's all. Thank you. Sure, sure. Oh, look, mister, remember, pallet with two L's? All this talk of scientific explanation. It's sinful, that's what it is. Are you a member of the cult, sir? Sure I am. Been a member since I was a boy. Daddy was a member, too. I, I've seen the books. It's all written down in the books. Don't you believe the scientist's explanation? Don't need it. Going to save my immortal soul. Going to stay on the mountaintop in a white robe while the stars carry away to glory. Blessed be the stars. Amen. What are the stars? The glory. The, the breath of the heavens. The spirit of the ultimate. That's what they are. The observatory has announced that it intends to take pictures of the stars. Blasphemy. I sold my house and gave all my money to the poor. Won't need it anymore. I'm going to heaven with the stars. Glory, glory going with the stars.
The reporter checks the stock exchange, the stores, business at a standstill. Doesn't pay to buy anything today, not if the world is going to end tomorrow. There are predictions of economic collapse in the financial section, layoffs at the factories on the edge of the city, and through the streets the people will mill and turn, unsure, crying in fear or shouting with bravado. The story isn't here in the city. And so as the hour approaches, the reporter goes again to the observatory high in the hills. Uh, look, Dr. Aton, if you are right, if the world is going to be destroyed, what is the difference if I stay here and observe and take notes? Uh, nothing, I suppose. You will be in the way. We have work to do. If I stay out of the way. Hello, hello. Oh, this place is like a morgue. It's freezing outside. The wind is enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all, the distance it is. Why aren't you in the hideout, Sharon? Me? <laughs> I'm part of the race that isn't worth perpetuating. Uh, who's got a bottle? There'll be no alcohol today. be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. All right, Thurman, you can stay. The time we took our positions, the observatory dome is up these stairs. After you. Ah! What is that? Up in the dome, quick. What is it? It's the plates. The photographic plates are all smashed. <laughs> there he is. The cultist is going for the telescope. After him. All right, I've got him. Let go. No. Let go. must be destroyed. It must be. It's all right. He didn't harm anything. Let him up. Well, that's the high priest I was talking to him yesterday. All right. What do you want? Nothing that you would give me of your own free will. I made a bargain with the cult to give me certain data that you had. In return, I promise to prove the essential truth of the creed. There was no need to prove that. It stands proven by the book of Revelations. I offered scientific backing for you believers. You made of the darkness and the stars a natural phenomenon and removed all its real significance. That was blasphemy. The facts exist. Your facts are a fraud and a delusion. How do you know? I know. I suppose you think in trying to warn the world against the menace of madness, we are placing souls in jeopardy, huh? Well, we haven't succeeded... If that makes you feel better. Your devilish instruments must be destroyed. We obey the will of the stars. Someone call the police in Saro City. There's no time for that. Uh, let me handle this. The eclipse is only a few minutes away. Look, you. Will you give your word of honor to cause no trouble? I will not. Listen. Just as soon as the eclipse starts, we're going to take you and put you in a closet with the door closed, and you will stay there. Then you won't see the darkness, and you won't see the stars. And that means the loss of your immortal soul, according to the cult. All right. Will you give your word of honor? You have it. You will all be damned for your deeds of today. Look! Look at Beta! The eclipse has started. You can see the blackness against Beta. Get busy on those cameras. Check the exposures very carefully. You're shaking, Mr. Theremin. Yes, I don't feel very well. You're not losing your nerve. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just not used to it. You could probably make the hideout. I have been assigned to cover a story. I intend to cover it. Oh, professional honor? Yes. Yes. Alasophanet Radrock. Alasophanet. What is that? The cultist. That's the book of Revelations. I don't understand it. He is chanting some old cycle language. The book of Revelations was originally written in it. There are probably two million people in Sarah City who are trying to join the cult. One gigantic revival. How do the cultists manage to keep the book of Revelations going from cycle to cycle? If everyone goes mad, who wrote the book? 
There are some people who don't see the stars. The blind, those who drink themselves into a stupor, and children, to whom the world as a whole is too new and too strange for them to be frightened at stars and darkness. They would have memories, and that, combined with the confused, incoherent babbling of the mad, formed the basis for the book of Revelations. Oh, the cult will be riding high down there in the city. I, I hope they make the most of it. Dr. Sharon, I, I just heard from the hideout on the private line. Oh, they're in trouble? They are safe, but the city is, is a shambles. You have no idea. Well, it'll get worse. Well, what are you shaking about, Dr. Aiton? How do you feel? You don't understand. The cultists are rousing the people to storm the observatory, promising them immediate entrance into grace, promising them salvation... Promising them anything. How long till the total eclipse? An hour. Well, it's a gamble. It will take time to get a mob out here. If the darkness comes first, we're all right. Oh, look at Beta. It's cut in half. Half of it is black. Yes, it's getting darker. An interesting phenomenon. Oh, my... My collar is suddenly tight. Are you having any difficulty in breathing? No, no, why? Difficulty in breathing is one of the first mm. symptoms. We have experimented. I'm, I'm cold. It seems to be getting colder. Yes, well, we'd better keep our minds on something else. One of the astronomers has a theory about the stars far away to see in the light. He developed a... Fantasy about a planet revolving around one sun. <laughs> it's a mathematical possibility. Of course, there couldn't be any life. Part of the planet would always be dark and without light. Well, it's, it's obvious. Without light, there can't be any life. It's time for the artificial light. We can't read the instruments. Artificial light? One of the researchers at the university worked it out. Why, it's beautiful. Yellow light. After four hours of red, it's beautiful. Light. Light. The dome is quiet. The priest in his yellow robe sways slowly as his lips move in the ancient tongue. Over and over, he whispers the invocation to the stars. The technicians hunch over the instruments, and the sky gradually turns a horrible deep purple-red, and the air grows denser. Dusk, like a palpable entity, enters the room, and the dancing circle of yellow light about the torches etches itself into ever-sharper distinction against the ever-gathering grayness beyond. Outside, Beta is a mere smoldering splendor, taking a last look at the world. The western horizon in the direction of the city is lost in darkness, and along the highway to the observatory surges a menacing, shadowy mass. Mob from the city, they're coming. How long till total eclipse? Fifteen minutes, but they'll be here in five. We'll hold them off. Come on, Theremin, downstairs. But, but, but there's, there's no light down there. We have to block the door. Come on. I can't, I can't breathe. I can't go down there. Take a torch. We'll take light with us. Come on. Ah! 
Aiton. Aiton. I'm here. Did you bar the door? They won't get in. All right now, everybody. One minute till totality. One minute. Just before totality, I'm changing the plate. That will leave one of you for each camera. You know all about times of exposure. Now remember, don't try to look for good shots. And if you feel yourself going, get away from the camera. It's dark. It's getting dark. Sharon. Sharon, where are you? I can't see you, Sharon. I'm right here. 30 seconds. Ah! Look out. The priest. I... I can't see him. And the wicked shall perish in the souls of the true believers. Shall be transported in glory to the stars. You can see him against the torch. Don't let him get to the telescope. The stars that reach down the heavenly flame, and where it touched the cities of the world, flame to utter destruction. Grab him! You shall not blaspheme! The world must be destroyed by the stars. It must be! Let me go! I'll take care of this. Stars! It's stars! Five seconds to totality. Four, three, two, one. The sky is black, and through it shine the stars. 30,000 minute suns shine down in a soul-searing splendor. It is more frightening in its awful indifference than the bitter wind that shivers across the horrible, cold, bleak world. The stars. The stars. The stars. Oh, no! It's dark. 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 The walls. The walls are coming in on me. They're coming in. Light. Light. Light! Darkness. Forever. Light! And ever. And ever. Light! And the walls Light. are breaking in. We did Light. not know. We did not know. Light. We did not know. Light. On the horizon in the direction of the city, a crimson glow begins growing. A thousand fires strengthen in brightness that is not the glow of the sun. A million fires, as a world mad in the darkness screams in terror for the light. The night has come again. You have just heard X-1 presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith. Publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight by transcription, X-1 has brought you Nightfall by Isaac Asimov. Adapted for radio by Ernest Kinoy. Featured in the cast were Wendell Holmes, John Larkin, Santos Ortega, Mercer McLeod, Alan Collins, Bob Hastings, and Roy Fent. Your narrator was Floyd Mack. Fred Collins speaking. X-1 was directed by Daniel Sutter and is an NBC Radio Network production. I wish we still had names like that. Names like... Names like what? Uh, just names like those men from the, you know... Uh, 
Wendell Holmes, which sounds like Oliver Wendell Holmes. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> like, does. Great it? names like that. Yeah, those <sighs> were the good old days. Yeah. But these are the days where the, where the end show music no. inches slowly into our lives. No. Oh, Big shucks. Dumb. So that, uh, yes, that was, of course, Nightfall by Isaac Asimov, and we had an Isaac Asimov-themed show today, yes. along with the world premiere of Simon Colt. Regrettably, we do not have time for story time with Alex this week, or The Eye of Argon, but we'll have Darn them it. both in spades next week. <laughs> oh, yes. Let me just read some credits, and uh, then we'll fork it on over to uh, Rude Italian Hand Gestures, the show that's coming up right after this on KWUR Clayton, 90.3 FM. All right. Simon Colt and the Monster of Horsekill Canyon, starring Mike LeFemin as Simon Colt, David Reinstrom as Lee Birch, Jim Wolfe as Bill Craig, Willis Garcini as Thomas Grinyard, Brent Rubin as the bank teller, written and directed by Ruben Basker, edited by Carrie Ewer, and music by Evan Kuhn. Special thanks to Carrie Ewer and Evan Kuhn uh, from Ruben himself. He is a very, very happy person, and we're all really glad with the way this turned out. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait for more. Yes, indeed. And if you can't wait for more, uh, too bad, because you'll have to wait until next week. The dinosaur order family of the week is Thyreophora. Again, that's uh, Thyreophora. And I have a hole in my shoe. Thank you. Good night. Ah! <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> I will fight you. Uh, not necessarily. Drop that R. I think that's-